Welcome to the Self-Publishing School Podcast. This is the podcast to listen to if you're an aspiring writer or an author who wants to be more successful. On this show, you'll learn how to write and launch a book successfully, all from the top authors and people just like you who are doing it at the highest level. I'm your host, Chandler Volt, the founder of Self-Publishing School, the author of the book called Published, and the CEO of selfpublishing.com. For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Dr. Guy Winch. Uh, he's a licensed psychologist, a keynote speaker. Uh, he's the author of uh, two books. They've done really well. Um, well, I guess maybe even three, um, three books, sorry. Um, and so uh, the two that I have here are Emotional First Aid and How to Fix a Broken Heart. He's also written a book called The Squeaky Will. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, he's, um, his books have been translated into 24 languages, and his first TED Talk, maybe you've seen it, a lot of people have, uh, it's called uh, Why We All Need to Practice Emotional First Aid. It's been viewed by over 5 million, or over 5 million times, I don't know if we can say over 5 million people, but, uh, and it's rated as the number five most inspiring TED Talk of all time on TED.com. So uh, in this interview, I want to talk about uh, a couple themes. So, I mean, we get asked all the time, how do you land a TED Talk? What are some of the themes there? I think what's really interesting Guy has some experience with TED books, has also kind of turned a TED talk, TED talk into a book or had those two work together. So I think there's some interesting um, themes there. I think there's also some interesting themes if you've listened to or watched the episodes um, with, gosh, with um, oh, Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman, or with Henry Cloud of Boundaries. I'm really fascinated by this concept of for people who work with people one-on-one, whether it's in with mental health or psychology or counseling, et cetera, is like, how do you take that, crystallize it into a book and then impact people at scale? And even just guy, we mentioned, we were talking before this about democratizing that thing through your podcast. So we got a lot of ground to cover. I think this will be a fun conversation. Guy, great to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah, so let's maybe at the start, why did you decide to write your first book and, and why books is, is kind of a big part of, of your brand, your business and what you do? So I, I mean, so full disclosure, I, um, I always loved writing and I always wanted to write on the side. And so when I became a psychologist, I, you know, I spent a few years building my practice and then I took some, you know, I cut it back a little bit so I could make time for writing. And at the time, what I was writing was screenplays. Uh, that just to be very clear that no one asked me to write, nothing ever happened with, nothing's ever been produced, but it was a good 10 years mm. of toiling away and, you know, something getting options, bah, and then not, and then something almost happening here, bah, and then not. And it was on the 10th year, like I think it was 2008, I had a screenplay optioned and it was about to be produced. And then the financial collapse of 2008 happened and that went kaput. And then this person who was an agent who always said to me, like, I don't do screenplays, I do nonfiction, write psychology. She said, well, maybe now you'll write psychology. And I had this idea for this book, The Squeaky Wheel, which is about the psychology of complaining. And I'm like, oh, fine, I'll write psychology then. And that's when all the success happened. In other words, 10 years of toiling literally got me nowhere. But the minute I pivoted to that lane, it started to work. So would you say that a lesson from that? Uh, 
was write about what you know or write about there's a lot of lessons there number one perseverance because i could have i could have given up on writing yes period uh number one number two you and i kept writing because i enjoyed writing and i didn't want to write psychology previously because i associated it with my dissertation with my phd which was not a fun process there's no one who does a phd who considers that an enjoyable process there's always an emotional recovery to follow you know trauma and such and so i wanted to stay away from it but that's it was in a 10 years of hindsight there it was like no but there's realms in psychology that i would enjoy talking about and the psychology of complaining thing seemed to me at the time well this is light this is fun i could enjoy doing that and once that one happened i realized oh no i can actually find a lane here in my specialty that i do enjoy writing about because the other takeaway is you better enjoy it because it's 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 so difficult it, it takes time it's such you know you don't get feedback for it for a while like so you'd better enjoy the process because there are no guarantees mm. anything you learned from uh your 10 years of writing screenplays that you feel like helped you and and i know you said it was behind the scenes and nobody's asking for any of that but it's that's a really in-depth and different discipline anything you learned from that that you feel like helped you write better more traditional completely books? and that's storytelling because screenplays are very very lean by definition regardless of what you see on the screen what's on the page is especially when it's a spec you know thing is just dial you know like dialogue and and bare description there's no real prose going into it so it's all about the storytelling all about a story arc and character arcs and so and it's all about editing down because in screenplays it's expensive and so if a scene's there it you know it has to be there for something it's not just for it it's serving a purpose so editing down storytelling story structure structure narrative arc all those skill sets came in really handy later on from those 10 years of writing screenplays mm that's really great um, that's awesome. And for those who are listening to, or the podcast or, or watching, uh, in a couple of weeks after this episode airs, we've actually got a deep dive on writing screenplays and turning your book into a movie and going from book to script. So it's interesting just hearing some of the parallels. Uh, so stay tuned. D which came first for you guy? Was it, uh, was it the, the Ted talk and then turning that Ted talk into book? Was it the book by the same name and then the Ted talk? Um, well, okay, so actually, um, the way the TED Talks happened was, so the squeaky wheel came out, it was my first book, the second book was called Emotional First Aid, and um, I was, and it was coming out in Swedish, and the Swedish company said, hey, we'll fly you over to Sweden to do publicity, and I said, you know, to do great publicity, getting a TEDx talk, TEDx is the licensed format of, of TED, um, those talks go on the YouTube channel usually, and I found one locally in Sweden, so I applied to it and I got in and I did that talk with the hopes of if the people at TED see it, they'll put it on TED.com, which is a separate from a YouTube channel. The talk you mentioned that has 5 million views has um, in, on TED.com 13 million because that has the aggregate of YouTube and all the other uh, places. So I did that talk, which was about the book. It went to the YouTube channel. TED people saw it. They put it on TED.com. It went viral there. And the book. Uh, sold out everywhere. Emotional first aid. That book became really successful because of the TED talk. And then after that book, I was writing just articles for TED to help support the talk and the book at that point. And then they approached me and said, "Hey, we want you to do a book with us, and it goes with a TED talk. They're a package deal. Um, and we want it to be about heartbreak. 
are you in? And when Ted says, we're gonna give you a Ted talk and give you a book, are you in? It's not a long decision process. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much like, uh, yeah. Where do I assign? <laughs> That's great. I wanna dive into that in a little bit and hear your experience. Um, but maybe first let's back up and so you wrote the book, then did the TED talk, then the, or the, then you did the TEDx talk, then did really well. And then that got picked up by TED and, and kind of kept snowballing. Do you feel like writing the book first helped you deliver a better talk? And if so, how? A, yes, because, um, TED talks, especially right? I mean, they're 12 to 18 minutes, sometimes six minutes, depending, they're short, and when you have a whole book of material from which to draw, it gives you a ton of options. Um, and a, it's, a, it's a big sandbox to play in, because then if I'm trying to write a talk, like the, the emotional first aid talk that I wrote as the TEDx that is now on, on TED.com, um, I, I knew the through line that I wanted. The through line that I wanted, I wanted to, to write about the fact that physical health and emotional health should be the twins of our well-being and I'm a twin and we're not treating them like twins and as a twin I find it offensive so it was about my twin brother and it was I knew the through line but how to make the point that we should treat our emotional health like physical health you can choose so many entry points for that you can choose so many aspects of our emotional health that we neglect and we shouldn't for that having a whole book gave me a huge array to choose from that I could then organize around the narrative line arc that I had for the talk. And so it just gives you so many options because you, you, you just have all this material. Now, what do I take to make my point? What are the most interesting or the best ways to make my point? Uh, that's very, very convenient. Much harder to do it without having that research in the book behind it. Mm, that's great. So that should be encouraging for people who have already written a book and are hoping to land a TED talk is you've already done some of the, some or a lot of the fundamental work to crystallize what you will speaking, be speaking about. And, right. and in TED terms, they call that the big idea, right? I've, give, I've given a TEDx talk and that, that, was, that was the big thing in the, in the interview process and then leading up to actually giving the talks. What's your big idea? What's your big idea? Right. Say it in a sentence, by the way, right? What's exactly. the big idea? And say it very, very concisely. So that's the other part. And why that's actually so important is because TED talks are short, you don't have time to get into five big ideas. There's one, what's the best way to service that idea and tell a story that's gonna capture people's interest throughout the time that you're talking about the examples and all. So yeah, but that, but that was very useful. And, and when I said earlier, you know, emotional health and physical health, we should treat them the same. That's the whole point about emotional first aid was like, here's a toolkit for emotional wounds. It was that idea. So it was also easy to come up with a big idea because it, yeah. it was the nature of the book. So it, it really helps organize your thinking. That's great. You kind of breezed over this a little bit and I think it's, you, you nailed it and it's so important. You've got your big idea and your hook, right? So you've got your big idea, which is, which is the emotional first aid. Uh, and then there's the physical and emotional uh, side of things. And then you've got the hook, which is really compelling and interesting, which is they should be treated like twins. I am a twin. Right. And the fact Bring in the personal not, it, it's, for the hook. It's, it's, it's offensive, right? And so I think, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, I had the hook. For a lot of people, that's the hardest part is coming up with something that's compelling, that's interesting, that gets people to click to watch and then share that concept. How did right. you come up with that big idea and that hook and any tips or, or things that you learned from that process? So look, I have three TED Talks. Each of them needed to have 
a hook, right? So the one that's about romantic heartbreak, the hook there was, um, again, just from the research, this is what I was finding, was that actually when you're heartbroken, um, trusting your instincts will take you all the way to the wrong side. It'll just make everything way more painful because our mind doesn't serve us well when we're heartbroken. We need to know what to do and how to ignore what our mind is telling us we should be doing, which is like stalking our ex on social media and doing all kinds of things that are not useful. Um, but in general, the, the, the hook is, to me, the fun part of the process. It's almost arbitrary. Like you have the idea, I want to talk about emotional first aid. I wanted to talk about heartbreak. My third one is about work stress. I want to talk about these things, but what's a package uh, that you can use? You know, you, you, you mentioned Chapman and the five love languages, right? That's a packaging of something that's very hookish. Like it's, it's like, oh, that's a really interesting idea that we express our love in different ways and different people express it differently. We don't always express it. Once you find that frame where emotional first aid was a frame about, hey, we have physical first aid, we should have emotional first aid, that's the hook, that's the frame. Mm. And you need to try on a lot of different things for size. It's a, it's a marketing hook, right? I mean, that's what we're talking yeah. about here. It's something to get people interested. Um, but then you should play around with it in the same way advertising and marketing agencies spend a lot of time brainstorming different ideas and and with talks, especially how do you bring in a personal dynamic, how would that tilt the hook a certain way? But to me, that should be a fun exploration um, of really what's the best I can come up with that will organize what I want to talk about in a way that's you know succinct and appealing and people go like, oh, I get it in a sentence or that's interesting, I want to hear more. Mm, that's really great. I love how you, how you approach that. Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Do you, do you think about it the same way when you're creating a hook or a title for a book as you do a TED Talk? And if so, why? Or if not, why? Yes, because it's all about the packaging. In other words, a lot of what I say in, in all of my books, there's some things I think I'd say in an original way that people haven't quite said that before, but a lot of it is I'm using data that other people have used to describe other things. I'm using research that is available to other people. I'm trying to find a unique way to kind of say it or do it. It's about holding the, you know, the audience's kind of interest. And the way I tend to think about those things is I always start by thinking about, well, what's a kind of a riddle or a puzzle or a mystery I can pose at the beginning to get people thinking, to get them to go like, huh, oh yeah, that's interesting. So it's like, what is a riddle that I can come up with or a puzzle or a mystery? Like in, in the heartbreak talk, the, the mystery I posed at the beginning was, I told a true story about a patient, a woman who went through cancer twice, had a double mastectomy, but actually had two individual mastectomies, had chemo and recovery, just got better, another chemo and recovery, and soldiered through. She was incredibly strong, incredibly resilient, kept going to work, kept getting promoted at work the entire time, like nothing could fail this woman. And then she got heartbroken and she went to pieces. 
And the mystery I posed at the beginning was that how come our defense mechanisms that serve us so amazingly well in, in, in the face of the worst existential challenges of life fail us when we're heartbroken? How come? So just, and, and it's the kind of question that people go like, huh, oh yeah. So tell me, and now they're listening, and now you can start telling them the story. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. about coming up, and that's a hook too, but it's coming up with a question or something to get people curious and soon and quickly. I find that's mm. always really important. Wow, that's really interesting. So we've talked about coming up with a good hook and you know the, the kind of the, how to get accepted or come up with your big idea for your TED talk. And then we talked about how to, you know, how kind of a little bit of how, or actually, let me zoom in on two more pieces of that. Why, why and how did you think Ted said yes? Like, how'd you get your first yes to speak on that first TEDx stage? The initial TEDx, I applied to over 10, probably TEDx conferences. You do it through the TED website. The problem with that is that often, you know, conferences have a theme. It can be about urban agriculture, except you don't know that when you're applying. So I might be applying to things that I didn't, because I, I didn't know, I just threw things out. And I happened to hit on a conference in which the uh, they already announced the theme, but had room for speakers. Usually once you announce the theme, you're kind of closed for speakers. And it was about habits. And so I just said, all right, it's about the habit of emotional health. You know, and, and, and I just, you know, that's when for emotional hygiene as a habit, just to kind of curate it toward the, the theme. And they said yes, because I had a book coming out, so I was already established. I'm an American psychologist. This is in some college in Sweden. So they were like, this is fun. We're getting foreign people come that we don't have to fly in or, or, or solicit. They're volunteering to come and speak while they're doing publicity for a book. So that gives us publicity. I, I think it kind of worked, but you also send a very thorough pitch. And, and the organizer said to me, when I arrived there, she said, if your talk is as good as the pitch, because she was about to see it in rehearsal, she said, then it's going to go viral. And I was like, yeah, 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 this is, you know, it's going to go on the YouTube channel. We'll see. But she was, and then she saw the talk and she said, this is going to go viral. She said to me, this is going to be one of the most inspiring talks for Ted. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That's very kind. But she, she, she thought it was a good idea. And that's kind of why it was. Yes. And I had worked on it and I, and spend the time, it's a marketing tool. You want to spend the time pitching a good idea and knowing what you're pitching. If it's for TED or TEDx, this is very specific format. They're very specific things. They're very, they want things done a certain way. So do your research. And when you're pitching ideas, whether it's books for agents or for publishers or whatever it is, do your homework and pitch correctly. That really matters. That's great. So that's how you got the first yes. Then we also talked about how you come up with your big idea or your hooks. And we and that leads in a lot of ways to it becoming shareable or viral. Is there anything else that you did or that you feel like worked well that 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 maybe either led to it going viral or brought in a bunch more views? Yes. So for example, on every TED talk of the three that I did, I went through and I after I had the basic talk, the basic structure, the basic ideas, I I wrote five to seven sentences in the talk which are memes, theoretically, which are you can just lift and post on social media because it's exactly the kind of, it's said succinctly. It's not in over three sentences I'm saying this. I, I had those things and I wanted to make one good sentence out of it, very kind of straight to the point, the kind of thing you would see on social media so people listening to it could repost 
and help the virality of it. So I literally spent time crafting those, because sometimes collapsing it into one sentence where this to this in a clever little cute way, it's a little bit of a squeeze, but I actually spent time on that squeeze because I wanted certain sentences that could be identified by other people or I could put out there, you know, on Twitter here, social media there, whatever. So yeah, so I was thinking at the level of sentences um, as well. I was thinking about humor that that's important for people. And where do I put jokes in without ruining a moment? Because some of it is dramatic, so it's not appropriate. Some of it, so to time where you want to lift tension. You know, I said I wanted to start with curiosity. My first book, The Squeaky Wheel, the mystery I started with, kind of true story, was um, there was construction being done 20 years ago outside my apartment, and it was horrible noise all day, but it wasn't my building doing it. It was just another building in New York City. And so in the entire building wrote complaint letters because it was unlivable. And I was the only one who wrote a complaint letter that actually got a rent abatement. No one else did. And the landlord called me and he said, everyone's writing complaint letters, but that was a really good complaint letter. I'm giving you a rent abatement. And that, when I started working on the Squeak Wheel, I'm like, let's do an analysis. And I do an analysis of why that, why I'm the only one who complained about the same thing that worked and what is the psychology of complaining that I use to make that effective. But it starts off with the story. So now people are interested at the end of the introduction of like, wait, how do you do that? What was it? Right, so it's about presenting, like you wanna, mm -hmm. people need to have an appetite to come back for the next page and the next chapter and the next minute of a talk and you have mm -hmm. to help provide it. That's great, so an opening story that makes it interesting, makes people care, like you said earlier, that maybe even posing a question where people say, huh, why is that? Right. Now I'm interested. Now I'm exactly. listening to the meat of the talk. You've got snippets or one sentence snippets that you can then use to boost the virality on social and things like that to help the overall talk grow. Anything post-talk that you did the market, the talk that you feel like worked well and boosted? Uh, everything I possibly could. So for example, Ted reached out and said, hey, can you write? They're a nonprofit. They don't pay for talks. They don't pay for articles. So can, you, can you write an article for us based on the talk? And some people would say like, well, no, I already like, you know, I don't write articles for free. And I'm like, of course I will. So, because that's a big platform. So, you know, I did that. I supported the talks and the books. I mean, when you write a book, you want to support the book. You want to do as much publicity as possible. You want to say yes to as many things, you know, as, as possible. So I, I, I was very much doing that. I was out there looking to see how I could continually promote the talks or the book for the first TED talk when it came out and it was on YouTube still, it wasn't on TED. I got it in Time Magazine online over Christmas because I had pitched it to a reporter that I didn't know, but I said, hey, this is my TED talk and here are the ideas and here are the points you can make in an article and da, da, da. And it was like easy work for her because I kind of gave the whole, you know, like this is what it would look like and this, these are the points. And so she said, all right, and she wrote it up and, and it went out on Christmas Day and it became one of the five most read stories over the Christmas day in time, which is not about emotional health, it's political and views and all that stuff. But it was in, an interesting idea again. So it was like, but I, I pitched a lot of journalists about, hey, you want to write about my talk? Do you want to write about this? And here's why you should. And I did the research knowing that they write about this thing and this is what they've written about recently. So I could say, I saw you wrote A, B, and C. I think this would be a good compliment rather than just pitching you know, I get this all the time, pitches for my podcast, which is therapy. It's a therapy podcast. 
And people are like, oh, here's a guest you should have on. I'm like, you do therapy. So apparently you haven't listened to a single episode, even though they write to me, we love the podcast. You haven't heard it because you're not pitching accordingly. So mm -hmm. do the homework. Got it. So do the homework. And then it sounds like uh, saying yes to a lot of things um, that, that you feel are opportunities to, to promote the talk and then uh, making journalists job easier to using your TED talk to get more PR and publicity. Super, super right. smart. So we've talked a lot about, okay, how do you get, how do you get the talk? How do you make it go viral? All those things. But then you, you said something earlier, which was the book sold out when the, when, when the Ted talk came out or was picked up. A lot of times people can do a Ted talk and not move books, right? It can go viral, but not have a, not have an impact for selling books or growing your business. What, what do you feel like you did well so that a lot of uh, viewers would end up purchasing a copy of the book? So first of all, again, there's TEDx, which is a licensed format, and there's TED. On the TED.com website, there are only 3,000 talks. On the YouTube TEDx channel, there's half a million. So that's not what's going to help it go viral. And what's considered viral there is not what's considered viral. What's considered viral on TED.com is to, to, to have a million views of a talk within a couple of weeks. That's kind of viral. So um, it depends where the platform is and how viral it, it, it really is, is going. But people should be able to tell that there's a book or if the book should have, I've sometimes seen people have talks and the name of the book is completely not present in their talk and not even just the talk itself, but in the, in the title of the talk, it's not present a lot in the verbiage of the talk. So in terms of SEO, like you're not getting the cross-pollination of certain concepts being associated with your name or with your book. So, you know, you want to use certain terms and you want there to be a, an immediate, but if you're going to use the talk to promote the book, then push the talk, but make sure that you're pushing the link to the book in the, wherever you're pushing that talk, that people can find, uh, uh, you know, the book. You're not going to mention uh, the book in a TED talk because that's not what's, what's done, but, 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 you know, if it's people will look for you or look you up in that way, if it, if it goes viral. And so you want to leave a trail of breadcrumbs wherever you're promoting yourself so that people can follow the trail to your website, to your email list, to your social media, where they will then get exposure to the book. Mm, that's good. And I know TED and TEDx are a little bit particular about kind of self-promotion and the talk itself. You can't do it in the talk itself. Yeah. So, so can you even say the name of your book or was there anything in your talk that kind of related to the fact that there's a book about this? Well, um, the talk is called Why We All Need to Practice Emotional First Aid, and the book is called Emotional First Aid. So, yeah. Um, and the second talk is called How to Fix a Broken Heart, and the name of the book is How to Fix a Broken Heart. Um, so, yeah, I try to keep them, in other words, they're, they're fine with naming something. They're not going to say as per the book, but they'll use that concept if you're writing about, you know, the, the, the joy of cactus plants, um, then you can have a TED talk called The Joy of Cactus Plants. That's not a problem. Got it. Okay, cool. Now, you, you mentioned earlier about your, um, which one was this? This was, I think, How to Fix a Broken Heart, uh, where TED Books came and said, hey, or TED mm -hmm. came and said, hey, yeah. it's a package deal, book, and a TED Talk. What, what did the structure kind of, of that look like, and how was that experience overall? So first of all, that, that was something they were experimenting with. I don't think they're doing that currently with the TED books anymore. The idea of the TED book is to take a talk and to do a deeper dive into that talk. 
So they often did it with talks that were out already. And they approached a person and said, hey, write a book about your talk. With me, it was like, they didn't have a talk about heartbreak. They wanted me to write the talk and kind of uh, uh, write the book. Um, but when you're publishing, even if you're self-publishing, you're going to, you know, whatever the, the, the idea is, it's like you do need to think about marketing and you do need to, to think about like how you, um, like if you're going, let's say for a TEDx, you know, they're not, you're not going to get a book with it, but like the many TEDx's and some of them are very, very low profile and some of them are very, very high profile. So you also want to research what is it you're applying to? Is it going to be a very established one that actually they're going to be pressed? There's going to be pressed there. It is going to be more marketable as opposed to a much smaller event. That's not, you know, again, like you, you want to make sure that it, it represents you well. Um, and, and the other thing I found is that, um, just going to mention this because I hadn't yet, uh, podcasts um, are a very good vehicle, um, this one and many others to promote books. And so, and there's so, it's such a huge space today. It's exploded so much over the past three or four years. You should be able to find 50 podcasts in whatever the lane is that you're writing about. And then apply to them. I applied cold in my first book. I applied, it was, you know, 10 years ago. So podcast was a much smaller space. I just applied to all the top podcasts in my space and said, hey, I talk about this, 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 and this. This works with your podcast because you've had episodes about A, B, C, and D. And I think 30% of them said yes, which is a huge, you know, very successful response rate. But it's like, it's very good promotional um, you know, vehicles. So if you're thinking about talk and book, there should be a lot of synergy there. That's great. And one thing that one pattern that I keep seeing that it seems like is unique to you, but also a commonality of people who are successful with this kind of stuff is reaching out <laughs> and reaching out to podcasts to get on podcasts, reaching out to uh, PR and publicity and the person in the New York Times to making their job easier, personalized reach outs where you're making someone's life easier, but also being very explicit and specific in your ask. Like, hey, I think this would be great for your podcast. Here's the book. Here's the TED Talk. Here's why I think you'd be a fit. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't do. We talk, in, in my new book, I talk about, I, I, this is author appearances is what I call it, right? Podcast, a TED Talk, speaking gigs, they're all kind of under that author appearances umbrella. And you've got the three R's of landing those author appearances, research, referrals, and reach outs. And so, you know, you got to research to see which opportunities exist. Referrals are really helpful for that kind of warm introduction. But then if you do all that and you don't do the reach outs, no, no one can say yes, and no one will say yes. And so it seems like you've done that really well time and time again and that's worked well yeah but i want to explain something to people who, who are not aware in the traditional publishing space my my three books are with traditional publishers um here's what they do they spend six weeks from the time the book comes out six weeks hence they will put some promotional effort into and and it'll before the book comes out but it's six weeks after that they have to move on to their next cycle of books it even with traditional publishing, unless you're a massively best-selling author, which most 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 people are not, it is still ninety-five percent up to you to get the publicity. And so sometimes people feel like, well, if I'm self-publishing, there's only so much I can do. And it's like that's so much you can do is exactly what you would be doing, hopefully, if you were being published 
published by the biggest publisher in the world, it doesn't matter. They only do so much and it's very little compared to what you need. You have to come into this assuming publicity is on you. It should start at least six months before the book comes out or before you want to publish it. It is a continual effort for a good year afterwards, I would suggest. That's how successful books are made. There's no, you know, once in a blue moon, Oprah will come and put something on a list, bravo. And even then, it only will give you a bump. You need to parlay that thereafter. So it's like there's no way around the self-promotion stuff that you have to do. And you have to get comfortable with that self-promotion. I know it's awkward for people to go, hey, have me on your show. But it's like, if you've done your research and you're making a good point and you think you'd be a good best, a good guest, that's not a big ask. It's like, it's just like, here's information about me. But you have to do it. You've got to be really ready to push because no one else is doing that for you. Mm, that's great. I'm so glad you said that because that's a common misconception. Right? So, oh, if I'm published, the publisher's just going to do that or I'll just pay someone to market. Or people will see the book is out and they'll go crazy for it. No one will see the book is out. No one will see it. Who's, how are they going to see it? A thousand books are published a day. Why would they see yours? Unless you're shoving it in front of their face, no one's going to see it. Agreed. Guy, what would be uh, kind of your, your parting piece of advice um, for the guy from how many ever years ago before you got your first TED Talk or anyone who's like you who wants to turn their book into a TED Talk? So first of all, um, TEDx is your bet, not TED, because that's highly curated. But TEDx's, there are many of them every day literally around the globe. Do the research, uh, find out the people who are organizing it, try and get to those people via LinkedIn, connections, cold calling, cold writing, we don't call these days. You know, like just, but but realize that, that it's a lot of cold calls in the sense of you're writing emails to people and you got to do it. It's like what I said to people about the dating apps, by the way. I know this is going to sound like, huh, what's the connection? What I said to people about the dating apps is the likelihood of you texting with somebody for, that will then lead to a first date that's good is small. So you need numbers. You need to be texting with a lot of people to get to that first date. And you need a bunch of first dates to get to someone that you want to have a second first, second date with, et cetera. It's that same with promoting. Like You need to send out a lot of mass pitches that are researched and specific, because again, people like me who have a podcast when they get pitches, which I do all the time from people who clearly have never, never listened to it, it's more annoying than anything else. Um, so you want to do your research, but you, it's, it, however long you spent writing the book, however many hours a day or week you spent writing the book, that's the amount of time you need to spend promoting the book. It is as a full-time job as the writing, clear the space for it, clear the mindset for it, gird your loins for the effort, but go forth and it's got to be a big campaign. That's great. It's, it's, it's not always that people like to hear, but it's, it's what they need to hear. It's, it's, it's so important. It's really, really good. So guy, this has been awesome, man. And then, uh, so you've got your books, you got how to fix a broken heart. You've got a emotional first aid. You've got the squeaky wheel. You got the podcast, the dear therapist podcast doing really well. I think you said over 6 million downloads on the podcast, which is, nuts where can people go where's the best place for people to go to find out more about you what you're up to grab a copy of your book or whatever would be most helpful so guywench.com g-u-y-w-i-n-c-h.com um if people forget my last name just put guy and psychologist something will come up pretty quickly 
you can go to Ted and put Guy in and you'll get to me quickly. So Ted.com. So again, like it's a distinct name and just put Guy in psychology if you forget the last name, but it's guywinch.com has all the information. You'll see links to the books. They're by the way in 28 languages at this point. We just bought a board Mongolian and um, uh, and I asked if I could, you know, if they're going to fly me out there so I could ride around on a horse and they said no. So <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> It's disappointing, but um, but yeah. So so guywinch.com will give you links to everything and articles and such and uh, whatever else I'm doing, which is new things all the time. Cool guy, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self Publishing School podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you could be listening to, YouTube channels that you could be watching. Uh, so thank you so much. It means the world. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode. All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Number two, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever, whether this is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, number two, I want you to subscribe to this podcast right now so you don't miss a future episode. Uh, And then number three, this is probably the most important, uh, leave a review on the podcast. All right. Reviews are super important and help the podcast get discovered by other people. Uh, So number three, leave a review on the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll see you in the next episode. If you're on the fence about scheduling a publishing consultation call with my team, maybe you're not quite ready uh, for that, I've got some free training that I think will be really helpful for you. All right, all you have to do is go to register to sign up. Go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. When you do, you're also going to get a free digital copy of my new book, Published. And on that training, you're going to learn the next step, so how to implement with your book. So how to write, how to publish, how to launch successfully. So go to register right now at selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. I'll see you there.